0: But look over here in Ephesians chapter 6 at a passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What is the power of his might? This is a question. What is the power of His might? The Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When He's talking about being strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind, this is talking about you relying upon the Holy Spirit, drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit, using the Holy Spirit as we've been talking about throughout this entire conference. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, in the Holy Spirit flowing in you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." Wherefore, and the reason wherefore, this means that it's beyond you. You're fighting demonic powers, principalities, rulers of darkness. This isn't a human fight. You can't fight it with human weapons. you got to operate in the Spirit. Wherefore, that's the reason, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore having your loins girt about with truth. And of course, truth, here, John chapter 17, verse 7, says your word is truth. You've got to have the truth. You've got to have the right message. And boy, this is where so many people are missing. So many people have had an experience with the Lord, and they love the Lord, but they don't have the right message. They haven't heard the truth. It's the truth that sets you free, and it's only the truth you know that sets you free. So you've got to have the right message. You're... Uh, loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Man, I could preach on that for a few days. Most Christians do not understand that they are in right standing with God. They think that God exists and they believe that God has power, but they have no confidence that God will use His power on their ability because they don't know that they are in right standing with God. They think that God only uses them when they are worthy to be used. If you believe that, you have no breastplate. You're vulnerable to the devil. In uh, the next verse it says, "...and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace." Man, I have a tremendous teaching entitled, The War Is Over, that is based on the gospel of peace. If you don't have that teaching, you ought to get that. That's one of my favorite things to minister. You've got to understand that God's not mad at you. The war is over And you need to have the gospel of peace. If it isn't talking about that there's peace between you and God, if the war is still on, if God is still holding your sins against you, then your feet aren't shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, if you could imagine yourself being a soldier, man, an army moves on its feet. If your feet are unprotected, you basically are useless. You know, in Vietnam, they gave us... Uh, combat boots. And one of the things that made them a combat boot was it had a metal plate in it. And I remember when I got home, I was working on construction and uh, I wore those combat boots. And man, they were great because you could step on a nail and the nail would bend. It would never penetrate. And you had to have stuff like that because they had bamboo uh, traps over there in Vietnam and different things. And I tell you, if you didn't have good boots, shoes, if your feet weren't shod properly... You're useless in battle. And likewise, if you don't have the understanding of the gospel of peace, which that's a, those are phrases that doesn't ring a bell with the average person, but you ought to get that teaching I've got. It would really bless you. That is absolutely essential for fighting the devil. So you have to have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. And uh, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This shield of faith, above all, is talking about that the shields that the Romans used were from like head to toe. And they had on a breastplate and a helmet and all of these things, but the shield covered it all. It was your first line of defense. Faith is what we use to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. If you've got some darts sticking in you, your shield's down. Faith's not working. And then it says, and take the helmet of salvation. You know, basically, this is all most Christians have put on is just a helmet. They they got their sins forgiven. They ask God, and the rest of them, they're just streaking soldiers. They got a helmet on, and the rest of them's naked, just totally vulnerable to the devil. Man, you need to put on the helmet of salvation and, look at this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now get this picture. What kind of power would a soldier have if all he had was a helmet or something, no offensive weapon? Every other weapon that it talks about in this is defensive to protect yourself. But when it mentions the sword of the Spirit, this is offensive. And what is the sword? It says the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit function together. And if you don't have the Word of God working in your life in conjunction with the Holy Spirit then the Holy Spirit can't do what He wants to do. This is the only offensive weapon that He has. And it's not all against the devil either. Look at this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Here is the same point, the same... Uh, illustration being used again. The word of God is a sword and here's what it does. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, is not only used to overcome the devil. You could turn to the fourth chapter of Matthew and the fourth chapter of Luke where Satan came out against Jesus and tempted him. And every time Jesus said, it is written, it is written. And he used the word like a sword to defeat the enemy. And yes, the sword is for the enemy, but the sword right here is quick and powerful, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, that may not mean much to some of you, but boy, this is one of the revelations that God gave me that just changed my life, that it's the spirit part of us that's born again. That's the part of us that's changed. It's the spirit that is identical to Jesus, 1 uh, John chapter 4, verse 17. And our spirit is the part that has the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16 and 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. All of this is true in your born-again spirit. And the way you discern the voice of the spirit and the leading of the spirit, you've got to be able to discern, is this the spirit? Is this my born-again spirit who's being inspired and led by God? Or is this my carnal mind and my own thoughts? that's in the soul. How do you discern? How do you divide asunder between the spirit and the soul? The Word of God is quick. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even two. And And the phraseology here shows you that this is such a fine line. It has to be razor sharp. It is something that... Uh, This is an exception. It's only the Word of God that can split this line between what is of the Spirit and what is of the flesh or the natural self. And so you have to have the Word and the Spirit functioning together together. Now this is kind of a novel concept. You will either hear people emphasize being led of the Spirit and having the Spirit lead you and let's be sensitive to the Spirit or you will have people talk about how important the Word of God is but seldom do these two things mix. As a matter of fact, I've been criticized over this many times because I emphasize the Word of God so much. I've had people come and say, man, you're just word, 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 word. It's always what the word says and you don't go by how you feel and feelings don't mean anything. And I've had people criticize me and say, you need to be more in the spirit. And I've had people criticize that. But you need both of these. You need them in balance. If you, just, if you were to take what I've said and if you were to recognize the potential and the power of the Holy Spirit... And you were to get excited and if all you did was start praying in tongues and pray in tongues and believe God for supernatural direction, the chances are you're going to get in trouble. Because there's not only the Holy Spirit out there, there's also demon spirits out there and Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And you can be deceived. I've had people come up to me before and say, I was praying and God told me to divorce this person and to go get this person. And they are absolutely convinced. They really feel it. There was actually a woman in Arlington, Texas who believed that God told her to marry Kenneth Copeland. And there was just one problem and that was that Gloria Copeland was married to (laughs) Kenneth Copeland. And so she cursed Gloria and commanded Gloria to die and had a wedding in the Spirit where she married Kenneth Copeland in the Spirit. Now that's the kind of weirdness that just being in the Spirit will get you into. And I've talked to some people before that, oh, they had an angel appear to them. They had this. They felt this. And there is no reason. You can't reason with them because they've got a word from God. Now again, I'm not trying to detract from hearing the Holy Spirit, but I'm trying to put this into balance. You have to have the Word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the sword will distinguish between, is this the Spirit and is this the soul or your own thoughts? Are your thoughts just being influenced by the devil? Is this a carnal desire, a natural selfish desire, or is this God that's giving you this desire? How do you know whether your desires are from God or not? Well, this is a little bit of a complicated issue, but to simplify it, uh, basically it just comes down to what does the Word say? The Spirit and the Word will never, ever, ever conflict. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son is called the Word in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was flesh, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God is Jesus. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one and they agree 100%. They will never violate each other. And so if you believe that you've got something from the Spirit, you need to find it in the Word where it is conformed to the Word, where it is consistent with the Word. And if anything you feel so passionately about and feel that this is God... And if it violates the Word, either you have a misunderstanding of the Word and you don't do anything until you get it straightened out or you have misunderstood that wasn't the Holy Spirit. If you feel that God has told you to divorce somebody because they don't cook well and it's time for you to go get this person and you're coveting somebody else's husband, I can tell you based on the Word of God that's not the Holy Spirit leading you to do that. If you feel that the Holy Spirit is telling you to go out and do anything that's contrary to this Word, and if it doesn't conform to this Word, you're wrong. The Spirit and the Word will never disagree. And actually, if you could put these two things into agreement. Now see, some people who are really into the Spirit really don't like this because this is going to slow you down. This is a check and balance and it's going to hamper your style and you can't just feel something and then go out and claim that God told you to do it and they don't like this. And again, I've had people get on my case and say, you just are too word minded. But you need these two in balance. Matter of fact, I had one of my Bible college students one time, his wife was one that was always praying and just getting impressions and whatever she felt she said. And so she criticized me about being too word minded. And so she had a dream one night and she couldn't wait to tell me about this dream. And in the dream, she said, I saw you and you landed on Normandy Beach during World War II. And there was a minefield in front of you. And there was all of these potential mines. You take a wrong step, you're dead. And the Lord gave you a choice. Would you rather have a map that showed where the mines were? Or would you rather have a voice that just spoke in your ear and said, scoop forward one step, turn left one step? Would you rather have the spirit or would you rather just have a map? And she thought she had me. <laughs> and I said, Man, that is a great illustration. I believe that was from God. And she says, What do you mean? I said, Because. How do you know that voice is the right voice? And she said, well, you, you just assume that it's God. And I said, you know what? There's other voices besides God. But if you hear a voice saying, take one step forward, and if you found it on the map and you put the two together to correct each other, and well, then that gives you a certainty that you don't have otherwise. And see, that's what I'm describing. I believe that God speaks to you, but everything God speaks to me is subject to what this word says. You have to compare these two together and put them together to make sure that this is God that is speaking to you. And if you don't do that, you're going to be in trouble. If all you get is the word, you know you can misinterpret this word. You need the Holy Spirit to help inspire and breathe upon this. I've actually heard people, if you go into enough Greek and Hebrew... You know, every once in a while, I'll use a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Hebrew. I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek. One has a laundromat and the other one runs a Chinese (laughs) restaurant. But anyway, I know just a little Greek and a little Hebrew. I'll use it occasionally. But when somebody is always going into the original language and telling you, oh, this doesn't mean this, it's this, you can go to these concordances and you can make a word say anything you want it to say. And some words... You have to take it by the context. You can take a word that means this. This is what the Greek-Hebrew dictionary will define it as. But if it's in a sequence with other words, it totally negates it and flips it and makes it the opposite. And you can't just go by what that one word says. You have to be able to put it into context. So my point is, if you just want to dig deep enough and read 30 or 40 different commentaries on one word, you can nearly make the word say anything. I've heard people preach opposite things uh, from the same Greek and Hebrew deal. You've got to have some spirit interpretation. You need to be led by the spirit and the spirit will show you. Like for instance, I just put two verses together out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 about the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit will inspire you as you're reading one and say, well, what is this sword of the Spirit? Well, it's the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Scripture will answer itself. The Lord will show you things. The Holy Spirit can help give you interpretation. So you don't need to just read the Word and analyze it and pick it apart and know it mentally. You've got to be Spirit-inspired to understand the Word. The Word isn't written to your brain. Now, it takes your brain to read it and to help understand it, but you have to really receive revelation knowledge that comes from your spirit, from your heart, and not from your head. So you have to have the spirit to interpret the Word. You can't just take the Word by itself or it will become a club. You'll sit there and use it to beat people up. You'll use it to say, well, man, you violated this, and you miss. You miss the whole spirit of what's being said. And Jesus, he interpreted the word correctly a number of times and showed the scribes and the Pharisees that, man, you have totally missed it. They had taken the most minute little commands and had twisted them, and it was like a legal document, and they twisted it and found a loophole to get out of this. And people who don't ever listen to the Holy Spirit and don't listen and read with their heart, they take the word of God and it becomes a club that makes them mean and legalistic and condemning to people and it hurts people. But on the other hand, if all you do is operate in the Spirit, you're going to go weird. Now, if you were operating totally in the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't go weird, but I'm saying there's more spirits out there than the Holy Spirit and you need the balance and the stability of the Word of God to keep you from getting off and into your own spirit and your own flesh and somebody else's Feelings and stuff. You need these two things in balance. This is such a simple truth. You have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And yet it's amazing how most people do not combine these two. And I just felt like it's necessary if I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit and being sensitive and starting flowing the Spirit that you need this balance to recognize that the Spirit and the Word will never disagree. They always agree and you have to be strong in the Word of God to be able to counter all of these things that come from the devil. Look over in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew, and let me illustrate this through the life of Jesus. You can also find this same thing in Luke chapter 4. This is where the two times... There's two uh, different writers that recorded this, but only one instance where Jesus was tempted by the devil. And in the third chapter is where Jesus, the third chapter of Matthew is where Jesus was baptized by John in the river Jordan, and the heavens were open, and an audible voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And then there was a visible form or shape as a dove that descended. And so you saw, you heard the Father's audible voice. Of course, the Son was there in the physical flesh, and then. A, Visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. All three parts of the Godhead at once came down. And immediately in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. You know, I could teach on this. I got, matter of fact, I got a whole series on how to overcome temptation. And it's based on this. It's multiple teachings. There's a lot in this, but you know, most people think that the temptation was to turn the stone into bread and satisfy his hunger. I think that that was a part of it. He was using Jesus' legitimate desire for food to gain his attention. But you know, the real temptation is when he said, if you are the Son of God. He was trying to get Jesus to prove who he was outside of what God had said. The Lord had just spoken to him and said, this is my beloved son. He had God's opinion. But Satan was trying to get him to say, if you are really the son of God, prove it. Turn this stone into bread. That was the temptation. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Think about this. Do you think Jesus was tempted with cocaine? Do you think Jesus was tempted with getting put out and carnal in rush hour traffic? Do you think Jesus was tempted with the stress of modern day life? Do you think Jesus was tempted with the same problems that people who are married are tempted with because he wasn't married? What does it mean he was tempted in all points? If you just peel back the layers of temptation and get to the root of it, there's really only three things. 1 John chapter 2 says, and I forget the exact verse. It's around 12 or something like that. It says, for all that is in the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of God but are of the devil. There's only three ways that Satan can tempt you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Adam and Eve had three things. When they saw the tree, that was the lust of the eyes, and saw that it was good for food and a tree to be desired to make one wise. There was three areas. Jesus was tempted in these three areas. There were three temptations of Jesus. The temptation really wasn't to turn the stone into bread. The temptation was to doubt what God had spoken to him. God had said, this is my beloved son. And you know, some people again haven't gone here and they hadn't thought through these things, but Jesus did not come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. Jesus was not a full functioning adult with full understanding in his brain when he was one day old or when he was still in the womb. His mind didn't function any better than a one day old baby function. He had to learn who he was. There came a time when, I don't know exactly how it happened, maybe it was through Mary telling him that Jesus, you aren't really Joseph's son. You were virgin born. You are God. You are the Word of God, an angel supernaturally implanted the Word of God. And there was a time that he learned that he was God. And he had to accept it. And he went to the Word, and I'm sure that the Holy Spirit bore witness and told him. But you know what? Jesus had to believe with his carnal brain. Now, his heart knew it because he was Lord at his birth, is what the angels said. Go see Christ the Lord. He was born Lord. He didn't grow up and become Lord. He was Lord at birth in his spirit, but his physical body was not Lord. It was human. It wasn't sinful human, but it was human. It had to learn. Jesus had to learn to control his bowels. I'm sure the first time Jesus tried to feed himself, he slopped, uh, smeared it all over his face. I'm sure that he had to walk and fell down. He had to crawl before he walked. Jesus had to learn. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased In wisdom, he wasn't automatically all-knowing and perfect in his mind. As a matter of fact, Jesus groaned in the Spirit when he raised Lazarus from the dead in the 11th chapter of the book of John. And you can read in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 that we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself helpeth us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The reason you groan in the spirit is to help when you don't know how to pray. Jesus didn't know exactly how to get Lazarus raised from the dead. And he groaned in the spirit and made intercession to help him over his natural self. It wasn't sinful self, but it was natural self. And the natural mind could not wrap its brain around a person who had already been dead for four days and had started decaying coming back to life. You can't do that in the natural. You have to do it in the supernatural. And Jesus groaned in the spirit to get past his flesh. Jesus had to accept that he was God by faith. It was possible for him to doubt that he was God or Satan would never have come and said, If you are the Son of God, do this. That would have been wasted. Some people think, well, Jesus was God. He was God, but he was also man. Jesus was it was possible for him to be tempted and to fail, or this would have been reduced to where it was no temptation at all. This was a real temptation. And the scripture again says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we were, he was tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted. I don't think he was tempted with hunger near as much as he was tempted to do something to prove that he was really God. It was an identity test. And this is how Satan tempts us. Jesus was tempted in every way that you're tempted, but not tempted with the same specific things. Satan might have a different package and a different wrapper and a different bowl on it, but there is no temptation that takes us but such as is common to man. This is why some people come and say, Well, you haven't been through what I've been through. You just can't, you can't deal with it. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Oh, but you've never had this happen to you. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. The moment you think, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The moment you think that you have a unique situation, then that allows you to just discount all of the instructions that I share with you from the Word of God because after all, you're different. You're the exception. And you've already fallen into a lie and a ploy of the devil. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common. Not just to a few people but common to all men. We're all tempted with the same thing. Jesus was tempted exactly the way you and I are tempted. To doubt who he was. To doubt these things. And Satan said, if you be the son of God. How did he know whether he should or shouldn't respond to this? You know how he did it? He responded by saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus used the word to discern. Was this a godly desire? Was this a godly thing he was being asked to do? Or was it an ungodly thing? And he used the word of God to split and divide between the soul and the spirit. And he used the Word of God to show that this was a carnal thing. It was something about him trying to establish his identity outside of what God had said about him. And again, if I had time, I could minister on this and show you that Jesus went through this same thing. And he used the Word of God three different times. It is written. It is written. It is written. Did you know Jesus was God... Jesus could have said boo to the devil and that would have been scripture. He was the word. Why did he go back and quote from Old Testament scripture? You know, for a long time that used to bother me and I said, he could have said anything. He could have said, I said so. And that would have made it fine because he was God. Why did he go back and quote Old Testament scripture? And the Lord spoke to me because... The Word is so powerful and it is settled forever. It's eternal that Jesus in all of His glory and majesty couldn't improve on what was already written. It was as good as it got. He didn't need to say anything other than what was written in the Word. What was written in the Word was enough to defeat anything that the devil wanted to do. Jesus was the Word and He was completely consistent and He just used the same Word that you and I have. And he used it as a sword of the spirit against the devil. And he also used it to divide between soul and spirit and tell was this a godly desire or was this a sinful desire. You know, there's so many scriptures on this. Let me just share one here out of um, Psalms chapter 37. Look at this verse. I hesitate to share this because this is really... Only if you are seeking God with all of your heart. And if you aren't seeking God with your whole heart, you could get into a lot of trouble with this scripture. This is prefaced upon you got to be seeking God. So let me just tell you already that if you aren't seeking God with all of your heart, this isn't for you. Don't listen. So everybody will listen. Listen. But look at this, in Psalms chapter 37, verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Man, those are some great scriptures. Look at this fourth verse. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is traditionally interpreted as, oh man, this is a great promise. You know what I desire? I desire a brand new Cadillac. I desire my neighbor's house. I desire my neighbor's wife. I desire to become the head and CEO of the business. And whatever I desire, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. This isn't saying that God will satisfy all of your lust. That goes against everything else. Now see, this would be an example of a person reading the Bible with just their brain and not letting the spirit balance it to where there's other scriptures. Like for instance, Hebrew, uh, James chapter 4 where it says you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust. The scripture makes it very clear that if you are just asking a carnal desire so that you can consume it on your own lust, God's not going to grant that. And so you see these two apparently opposite statements that you can't just ask whatever you want and satisfy your lust. And yet this one says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. So which is it? It's both. It's both. Well, then how do you understand this? How do you interpret this? How do they fit together without contradicting each other? Psalms chapter 37 verse 4 isn't saying God's going to give you whatever you want. This is saying delight yourself in the Lord and God will put His desires in your heart. Your heart will change so that you start desiring the things of God is what that's talking about. And there's no contradiction, see, between those. And so here's what Psalms 37.4 is saying. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will change the desires of your heart. Many of you, when you got born again, when you came to the Lord, prior to that time, you loved to party. You loved to go get drunk. You loved to do dope. You loved to do whatever. And then you got born again, and all of a sudden, you didn't want to do those things. God changed you. He changed the desires of your heart. You've experienced this at least to a degree. And this is what it's talking about. And this is simply saying that if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, and that's a huge if. If you are delighting yourself in the Lord, and I could spend an hour talking about what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. But it means if you are truly putting the kingdom of God first. If you have died to yourself And you are wanting God's will more than your will. If your heart has been purified so that you aren't offended at somebody and you're praying that they'll die because you'd like to see them suffer, you haven't delighted yourself in the Lord if that's what you're doing. If you've got bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, you hadn't delighted yourself in the Lord. If you have delighted yourself in the Lord, then here is a news place. This is a great piece of information. If you are seeking God with all of your heart and if God is truly Lord of your life, then the desires that you have are from God. And you know what you can do? Whatever you want to do. And some people think, oh no, that's of the devil. Man, it's like, that's not of God. I can't do what I want to do. I was raised in a church that taught that if you want to know what God's will is, take your first desire and do the opposite. And that's God. And you know what? That's true if you're a carnal Christian because the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity or the enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are carnal... And that doesn't necessarily mean sinful. Carnal means just of the five senses. If you are human only and if you haven't renewed your mind, if you're just operating as a mere man or woman and you're doing your own thing, well, then it's true. Do what? Take your first desire and do the opposite, and that's God. But that is ruling out the fact that you can walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. You can get to a place to where you do desire the things of God, and you have delighted yourself in the Lord. And when you truly get to where you put God first, did you know God puts His desires in your heart? And you can do what you want to do if you are truly seeking God with all of your heart. Yeah. Now, that is so simple. You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. But you know what? This is a powerful piece of information. And... Because of this, this is one of the greatest ways that God has led me and I've learned to live by the Spirit. Is I follow the desires that are in my heart always with this qualification. God, is this desire really from you? And I go to the Word to check it out and make sure it doesn't violate the Word of God. But I basically seek God with my whole heart and then if I desire to do something, I just check it out to make sure that I'm in the Spirit and if I am, well then I do it. And I know some of you think that's too simple, but that's the way it works. I was going to go to Costa Rica one time, I'd already been there and ministered in a Bible college and had a tremendous time and boy, they wanted me to come back, I'd already gotten my tickets, my pastor was going to go with me and I already had the trip planned. And I was moving my mother up to Colorado to come to work for us. This was about 1980. And I was praying about going there. And I was just so excited about going to Costa Rica. But when I started praying and asking God for his blessing and direction on it and things like this, all of a sudden, I lost my desire to go to Costa Rica. I didn't want to go to Costa Rica. Not only did I not want to go, I really didn't want to go. I wanted to not go. And it was such a radical change in my heart that it startled me at first. And I was driving this rental truck for 17 hours, and so what I did, I just prayed. I turned on music, I got to singing and praising God and focusing my attention on the Lord. Because again, Psalms 37, 4, "...delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." I found that if I just focus on God and get more and more focused on God and start delighting myself in Him and make sure that I'm focused on Him, if it is a carnal desire, a fleshly desire, the more I focus on God, that thing leaves. But if it is a spiritual desire, the more I focus on God, the stronger that desire gets. So anytime I desire something and feel that it's God giving me direction, I will take some time apart and fast or pray or just separate myself and go to focusing on God and pray and study the word. Not necessarily about that individual thing, but just seek the Lord. And the more I get into the presence of God, if it's God, then that desire will increase. If it's not God, I'll lose it. I'll literally forget about it as I get into the presence of the Lord and my desires start being focused and formed by God. And so if I seek the Lord and the desire leaves or diminishes, well, then I say, I don't think that was God. It all is hinged around seeking the Lord. So anyway, when I started feeling this desire not to go to Costa Rica... I started praying about it and for 17 hours I just prayed and prayed and prayed. God, what's going on? Is this something carnal? Is it because I'm tired of traveling and I just don't want to go? Is this a carnal fleshly desire or is it coming from my spirit? And see, the Word is the sword of the Spirit that separates between soul and spirit. And I went back and thought about Psalms chapter 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. So I started focusing on the Lord. The more I focused on the Lord, the less I wanted to go to Costa Rica. So eventually, after about 17 hours of prayer, I called up the people in Costa Rica. And it was just a week or two before I was supposed to go. And I called them up and I said, you know what, I'm not coming. And they said, you can't do this. We've already put out advertisement. People are coming from long distances and we got people coming from everywhere and you can't cancel. And I said, look, I'm sorry, but I can't go. And they said, so what's wrong? I said, nothing. I just don't want to go. And boy, they didn't like that at all. And you know, I have never been asked back. They never did understand (laughs) what I was doing. But I canceled going to Costa Rica just because I didn't want to go to Costa Rica. And I checked my emotions, and it was a spirit emotion and not a physical emotion. It was based on the Holy Spirit, and so I canceled. And guess what? The plane that we were booked on Crashed and killed 169 people. I'd have been dead had I not have listened to the Spirit communicating with my spirit. That's one of the ways that God gives you leadership is you just feel something. Now again, I'm not talking about a carnal feeling. You could feel fear and therefore you aren't going to go minister to somebody and tell them God wants them to be saved or healed because you just are feeling, carnal things. But I can guarantee you as you get into the presence of God and seek God, God will show you that no, that's not a spiritual emotion. That's your carnal self not wanting rejection. You've got to go to the Word of God and balance all these things out. But I, I was led by my feelings. Not carnal feelings, but spiritual feelings. And again, this is something I hesitate to say in a... ...in a group where we've got people of all different spiritual levels... ...because some of you are just going to immediately take this... ...as an endorsement of doing whatever you feel like. And man, that'll get you in big trouble. Because many of you are not seeking God with your whole heart... ...and if you do what you feel, you're going to be in bondage. But this is a key to those of you who are seeking the Lord... ...that if you're seeking the Lord... ...why are we so afraid to do what we feel in our hearts... You need the Word to be able to distinguish and to verify. You know, I always knew that someday I'd be on television. I just knew it. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. I knew that God had called me to impact lots of people and be on television. I'd been guest on other people's programs. And when I got on, it was just... Everybody told me, you are like a natural on television. I never was nervous, and I had lots of confirmation and I just knew that someday I was going to be on television I had people offer me free television airtime, but I knew that television was very expensive I knew it could make or break the ministry and I had resisted it and fought against being on television for a very very long time and then one summer I was just praying about things and as I prayed, it's a long story but I mean boom, like that I wanted to be on television. I got so excited about being on television, I knew exactly what my television program was going to be like. I even sat down and drew a mock-up of the way the set would look. And I knew I wasn't going to be in a three-piece suit. And and the Lord showed me exactly how to do it. And I got so excited, I couldn't even sleep at night. And that was so radically different than the way I had felt for decades that it got my attention. and thought, God, is this you and so I began to pray, and what I began to do was get really serious, seeking the Lord, making sure I wasn't goofing off and wasting my time, but that I was truly had my heart set on the Lord. And I told Jamie, and you know, Jamie was just instantly, this is God. And I thought, that, well, man, that's, what a, that's a great confirmation, amen, right there. My wife was in agreement. So that encouraged me, and within two months, I had two of my board members come to me separately, independent of each other and say, God told me that it's time for you to go on television. And this started happening and that started happening and pretty soon I had it confirmed that it was God. And long story, but everything worked out and the Lord spoke to me in 1999 right before we went on television and said, you're just now starting your ministry. If you would have died before this time, you would have missed what I had for you. And when we started on television, January the 3rd, 2000, is when our ministry just exploded exponentially. Everything began to work. And that was God. And you know what? I never did hear an audible voice. I didn't have somebody prophesy. I didn't have... I had just all of a sudden a desire changed and I knew that it was such a radical departure. I sought the Lord about it and it was just a desire of my heart. And that's how God led me. When I started the Bible school, I had never wanted a Bible school because I had seen other people graduate from Bible schools and go out and make a total mess of everything and have somebody's name on them. And I didn't want that on my conscience or on my, to my account. I didn't want a Bible school. I had people say, you ought to start a Bible school. And I said, not me. I'm not starting a Bible school. And in 1993, the summer of 93, God in one week just showed me how we could do a Bible school different than just knowledge, how we could actually affect a person's character, how we could mentor them, practical stuff. And all of a sudden, my desire just changed from that direction to this direction overnight. And I sought it out and sought the Lord and I did what I wanted to do. And you know, in hindsight now... That's going to be, I believe, one of the biggest ways that I have of impacting the body of Christ is through a Bible school. I believe that it's tremendous. We are now trained. We've got thousands of people, if you can include all of our schools and stuff, thousands of people, and those people are going out in Uganda alone. Just a couple of Bible school graduates are reaching over a quarter of a million people per week and discipling them. The president and first lady are being touched, and an entire nation of Uganda is being changed. We are seeing awesome things happening through the people that we are pouring our lives into and they're going out and multiplying our effectiveness. And you know what? All, all that started by me just all of a sudden having a desire in my heart. That's how God leads you. You know, I need, I, I need to bring this to a close. I don't ever finish. I just quit. <laughs> I can't. I can't summarize everything, but let me give you one other point that has really made a difference in my life. And that is that the scripture says in First Corinthians sixteen or yeah, first Corinthians no, first Corinthians six seventeen, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Amen. And the Greek word is hes, H E I S. It means a singular one to the exclusion of another. Your born-again spirit is united with the Holy Spirit, and they are one. And you know, Jamie and I, the Bible says when you get married that you become one flesh. One of the ways that I knew Jamie was going to be my wife was because we were just so one. We were one nearly before we got married. Jamie would help me minister to people. She would be in my Bible studies and... and, uh, I depended on her, and I knew what Jamie was thinking. I could tell you by looking at her. I knew Jamie frontwards and backwards. She knew me, and we were just one. When we got married, it might have taken an hour before we were completely normal about the way we are right now. It was just like this was natural. It was the way it was always supposed to be. We were just one. What I'm saying is, if you can become one to a degree with a person, imagine what this is saying when you are one... ...with the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit knows... ...the mind of Christ... ...you have in your born-again spirit... Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's true of the Holy Spirit, but since you're one with the Holy Spirit, that's also true of your Spirit. Your Spirit is full of love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Your Spirit and the Holy Spirit are one. So anyway, there's a lot of points out of that, but here's, here's one thing that really helps that the Holy Spirit and your spirit know all things. 1 John two twenty. You have an unction from the Holy One and you, not with your peanut brain, but the Spirit, mind of Christ part of you, knows all things. You just know things. So here's my point. When the Holy Spirit leads you, He communicates with your spirit. The Holy Spirit and your spirit are one. And you just know things. You know all things. So, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, Susan, Rob, Bob, I want you to go do this. See, this is what we're looking for. God, tell me what to do. And you want him to say, Andrew, I want you to do this. God doesn't talk to you that way. God communicates spirit to spirit with your spirit, and your spirit just knows what God wants you to do. And so your spirit doesn't say, well, God says. No, your spirit says, here's what I want to do. And you hear it in the first person. And you think, well, this is me. It is you. Your born-again self. Your born-again self knows what the will of God is. And your born again spirit isn't going to say, thus saith the Lord. It's just going to say, I feel like going over and talking to this person. I feel like telling that person that God loves them. And many people miss it because it's not the third person where, thus saith the Lord, go talk to this person. You're expecting it to come from the outside. But your spirit is one with the Lord and you know things. And by the time it comes to your brain, it's just, well, I feel... I feel a compassion for this person. I couldn't tell you how many times I have just felt something. And, and as far as I could tell, it was me. But see, here again is where the word, the sword comes into play. My flesh does not love other people more than me. My flesh is selfish. So is yours. Myself, My flesh will only think about myself and advance myself... And forget everybody else. You know, in the natural, without God, you are the center of the universe. The world revolves around you. For you to have compassion and love and want to bless somebody else and to do something like that, it's not the devil. It's not just you, it's your born-again spirit. like I said about going to Bible school. People say, well, I want to go more than anything, but I'm just not sure it's God. And I tell them, oh, yeah, well, it may be the devil that told you to go to Bible school and sit under the Word for four hours a day and, and spend two years saturating yourself in the Word. That sounds like the flesh. That sounds like a lost, degenerate person. That sounds like the devil. You know what? If you have a desire to go to Bible school, boy, you know, just... Open up your eyes. It's got to be a spirit man on the inside of you. It's not the flesh that wants you to study the Word. If you have love and compassion for somebody, it's God. The Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. When you feel love, and I'm not talking about lust, again, the Word of God can distinguish between lust and love. Man, I'm not even going to go there, but I could spend an hour explaining that. But there's a difference between lust, selfish things, and true compassion, godly love. When you feel love flow out of you towards a person, God is love. So you take that feeling, you go to 1 John 4, 8, God is love, and say, Well, this is God flowing through me to this person. And you just follow it up and minister to Him, and miracles take place. I remember a service where there was a woman sitting in the back of the church. I'd never seen this lady. I was pastoring a church, and I'd never seen this lady. She was a visitor. And I mean, the moment I got up, it's just like there was a spotlight on her. She stood out, out of everybody in the whole church. And I was just drawn towards this lady. It wasn't a physical attraction. It was the love of God flowing out. And I could hardly wait for me to get through talking so that I could minister to her, because I knew it was God. And so I called this woman forward and I said, come up here, God's got a word for you. I didn't have a thing to say to her. I didn't know one thing to say, but I just knew that if compassion is flowing, that's God. And God will always minister to a person and give you what to say. So I called this woman up feeling nothing but just compassion for this woman. And when this woman got up here, I didn't know anything about her and I just started praying and I said you know, God loves you. Well, that's pretty easy to say for anybody. And that's how I just started. I said, God loves you. And I can see that you've been grieving. You've lost. And see, when I started and just stepped out because I felt love and compassion, immediately God started using me. And I said, you've been grieving. And then I said, as a matter of fact, you've lost somebody. Somebody <laughs> close to you has died. And I said, it's, it's, It's always bad to lose somebody, but the worst thing is you are believing for their healing. And you're confused and wondering why this person wasn't healed. But I'm here to tell you it's not God that killed him. It wasn't God's will. It's the destroyer. It wasn't God. It's the destroyer. And I just kept saying that, and I kept using this word, it's the destroyer. I don't ever talk that way. But I said, it's the destroyer. It's not God. Did you know later that woman came to me, and her son had died of leukemia... And people had been telling her it was God's will that he die. And they were under the doctrine that nothing can happen but what God sovereignly allows. And so she had thought it was God. And it had broken her heart to think that God killed her son. But her son, right before he died, was driving into Kim, Colorado, the town that they lived in. A hundred people in this ranching community. And he had a vision And there was this huge demonic power that was like 10,000 feet tall hovering over Kim, Colorado. And, And he said, what is that? And the Lord said, it's the destroyer. It's the destroyer that's trying to kill you. And I used the exact words that ministered to this woman and it just changed her. Man, it set her free. They became a part of our church. It changed their life. And you know how it all started? Because I just felt compassion for this person. And so I followed it up. And I've come to realize that when I'm thinking about somebody and I feel compassion for them when they come to my mind, you know, I'll sit there and say, God, am I in the flesh? Am I doing something carnal? Is this a carnal emotion? Or am I delighting myself in the Lord? And if I'm delighting myself in the Lord and if I'm really seeking God, then I trust those emotions. And I've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I've seen miraculous results. The man who got me started in ministry, Wendell knows him, and he's the guy that got me started. He was... We were super close for a couple of years, and then something happened. People got on his case, told him he was of the devil, humiliated him at a minister's conference, and he got mad at God and at ministers and quit the ministry... And he hated everybody and me especially. Even though I don't think I did anything to cause it. He had just gotten mad. And anyway, I was praying and I felt so much compassion for him that I tried to call him. His phone was disconnected. So I I knew him well enough to know where his parents lived, where his wife's parents lived. And I got on the phone and started calling information and doing different things. And finally I tracked him down at her parents' house, I called and Joanne answered the phone and I said, Joanne, this is Andy." And she goes and hangs up. And I thought, well, that went well. (laughs) And I was just sitting there at the phone thinking, God, what was all that? I know I felt compassion flowing out for Joe and Joanne. What do I do? And within five minutes, the phone rang back. And it was Joanne, and she was crying. And she said, I'm sorry. And she says, Joe's gotten mad at God. We've quit the ministry. He's out selling paper again. And she says, we've lost our house. That's the reason I'm with my mother. And I was just ready to quit and give up. And she said, I was sitting here staring at the phone and saying, God, if there is a God, why don't you have somebody minister to us? We've traveled the world ministering to other people. And even though I'm not at our house, you could tell somebody where we are. They could find us. If you're really God, if there is a God, you have somebody call me. And boom, here here rings the phone while she's praying that. And it scared her so bad she hung up. And you know what? God used that to allow me to minister to them. Joe got back in the ministry. Joe's a good friend of mine today. And things worked out. And the Lord didn't tell me, call Joanne, she's at this place because they have done this and you say this and you do that. It wasn't third person, it's just I felt compassion for him. And you know, the sad thing is, I haven't always done this well. I've learned this the hard way sometimes too. When I first was getting started, there was a man named Bob Lewis, who was the youth director in our Baptist church. and And after my dad died, he kind of took me under his wings and he... Uh, spent some time with me and we never were real close but he was a friend and I had heard that he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and had was pastoring a church in El Paso, Texas and that miracles were happening and that they had a room that was full of nothing but crutches and wheelchairs and braces and that he was seeing miracles happen and I heard good reports about Bob Lewis And I I bet you for two or three months, every time I'd pray, I'd think about Bob Lewis and wonder how he is. And I just felt compassion going out. And what I would do is just say, well, praise God for Bob Lewis. I'm glad to hear what's going on with him. And it wasn't long after that that I heard that Bob Lewis went out to get in his car and put his hand on the doorknob and a red ant was on the doorknob and bit his thumb and he died instantly had an allergic reaction and died from an ant biting him. And when I heard that, I thought, God, that's why I was always thinking of Bob Lewis. You were trying to get me to pray for him or intercede or to do something, and I just blew it off and thought about why am I wondering about Bob Lewis. And so I repented. And I learned something and it made me more motivated to listen when I feel something and think maybe this is the Holy Spirit leading me. And it was probably ten years later, I was at a meeting and the man who was doing the praise and worship was named Bob Lewis. And so I went up to him and I said, you know, I used to have a guy that was a youth director in our Baptist church in Arlington, Texas named Bob Lewis. And he said, that was my dad. I'm Bob Lewis Jr. And I said, oh, really? And so we talked for a while, and then I said, you know what? I've got to apologize and tell you that for at least two or three months before your dad died that God was trying to get me to pray. I, he came to my mind every single time, and I didn't understand what was happening, and I didn't follow through with it. I didn't pray. I didn't call him. I didn't do anything. And he says, you are at least the, the 12th person who's told me the exact same thing. He said God was trying to raise up people all over the world to pray for my dad and people didn't understand what was happening. Brothers and sisters, God is speaking to us all of the time, but it's just through this still small voice. Our spirit is one with the Holy Spirit. You just know certain things. And you, if you delight yourself in the Lord and are seeking God with your whole heart, then you can trust these desires and these leadings. Again, always use the Word of God to check and make sure that it's not something that's forbidden in the Word that is consistent. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is speaking to us and we are so quick to think that if you want it, then it's not God. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. You can start being led by the Holy Spirit. And if I had time, I could give you a hundred other examples of what I'm talking about. This is one of the main ways that God speaks to me. I've just made some decisions in the last month or two. And it's all happening because God stirred some things up. I feel things. This is my desire. Man, I've got My vision has doubled in the last two months. And you know what? I've prayed about it. And I've got people in our, our staff that I share with and draw on their counsel. And God has confirmed it and I mean, boom, just like that, miracles are happening. If the Lord tarries one of these days, I'll share with you and you'll be amazed. But I've already seen it. Amen. And you know how it happens? It's just my spirit being in union with the Holy Spirit and God puts his desires in my heart and starts showing me things. Every one of you have this happen. And we blow it off most of the time. And you can't trust what you feel because with many of us, we aren't seeking the Lord. You spend more time watching TV than you do praying and seeking the Lord. But the potential is there. And if you could just press into the Lord and praying in tongues and flowing in the Holy Spirit is one of the things that will get your mind stayed on the Lord. And if you'll do that, God will speak to you. And God will show you what stocks to buy and then you need to do it. He'll show you to turn off your water and you need to do it, amen. God will show you things to do. And, and when David did those things that we were talking about, I don't think in either instance the Lord told him. It's just a perception that he had. It was a thought that he had and it was an inspired thought. And how do you know? Because the word of God divides between soul and spirit. Man, this is powerful. What I'm sharing with you may not be one of those run in the aisle type of sermons, but this is one of the most practical things that you could apply if we would just take advantage of the Holy Spirit, go to praying and interceding, expecting this, and then go to listening and let the Word... You know, you can't let the Word divide between soul and spirit if you don't know what it says. If you have to say, well, Andrew quoted a verse, and it, I, I don't know, it's somewhere in there, something about by his stripes, we are healed, or we're going, I don't know what it says, but something in there, you know what, that's not good enough. You, you can't rightly divide the word by just saying, well, I know it's in here someplace, I, I think that the Bible says this, I heard somebody one time say this, you're dangerous, you need to know the word of God. You need to know what the Word says. You need to be where, how to find it. And you need to be able to compare it with other scriptures and let the Holy Spirit confirm it in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let everything be established. Jesus even quoted that verse and said that. You need to know multiple scriptures. You need to have some verification for what you're feeling and you need to be seeking God with your whole heart. But if you'll do this, God will lead you and you could see supernatural results. God has never made a piece of junk. He's never made a failure. If your life isn't working out, it's because you aren't following the leadership of the Lord. Start following the leadership of the Lord. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive this, and it'll change your life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, let me me do this tonight. I know that there's a lot of people in here, everybody in here, Probably seeks the Lord to a degree or you wouldn't be out here on a Saturday night listening to a hick from Texas. you got to be a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic. One of the two. But I also believe that many of you in here aren't really seeking God and aren't in tune to your spirit and aren't even expecting for this type of leadership. You aren't looking for it. And one thing I've come to find out in my walk with the Lord is that if you aren't expecting it, it won't happen. The Lord doesn't grab you and by the neck shake you and make something happen. There may be a few occasions where something like that would happen, but as a normal rule, there's just a still, small voice on the inside. And if you don't pursue God, you won't hear Him. It's amazing to me how when... I get to praying and seeking God. And if I'll set time aside and if I'll just spend a day seeking the Lord, and oh God, what do you want for me? I nearly always hear something. It's like God never has a shortage of something to say and vision to give me. It's me that doesn't seek. And so every time I seek, I find. And I just believe that there's people here that haven't really been seeking God. You haven't been expecting much. You've been shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. And I really feel like that the Lord is just saying that there's people here that need to make a commitment that, you know what, I'm going to seek God. If these things be true and if God has revealed this to me, then praise God, I'm not going to let what God has given me go unused. I'm going to tap this. I'm going to tap into the things of God. I am making a commitment that I'm going to know God. I'm going to hear His voice. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. And I believe that God's speaking to some of you tonight to make that type of a commitment. You know, I don't know how to do this because hopefully every person in here would respond to this. I don't know how to do it. Let me do it this way. I know some of you have already made that commitment and you may not be fulfilling it perfectly. I can always do more than what I'm doing. All of us can do it. But there are some of you in here that have honestly made this commitment, and you are seeking the Lord, and you are pursuing these things, I don't want you to respond. But I'm asking those who really have been going your own way. You've been doing your own thing. You have not been delighting yourself in the Lord, and therefore you can't trust the desires of your heart. But tonight, God's inspired you through this and you now want to say, God, I want to know you this way. I want to start receiving this. If you have never really made that commitment, for you to respond to this and to stand in response to what I'm asking, I want you to acknowledge that, you know what, God hasn't been absolutely first in my life. And I can't trust the things that I'm feeling. Matter of fact, you could nearly say that the things you're feeling are wrong because you haven't put God first. But if you're willing to change and say, I want to put God first, I just want to ask you to be bold enough just to stand and make a commitment here and say, I'm going to start putting God first and I want to start letting Him change the desires of my heart. If that's you, I want you to stand while everybody's head is up and their eyes are open. (laughs) Jamie got up. Thank you. You know, if you understood what I'm saying correctly, this isn't just people that you've really made this commitment but you haven't fulfilled it correctly. These are people that are saying, you know what, I haven't done this. I've been doing my own thing. I haven't been putting first the kingdom of God. I have not sought God with all my heart. If you understood that and if you're standing to make this commitment, then this is probably more than 50% of this crowd close to 50% of this crowd. And you know what? If you've understood it and if you respond correctly, you don't need to look any further than what I've talked about tonight to understand why things haven't worked better. This is foundational. This ought to be Christianity 101. This is the first step is just to commit yourself that God, I want to delight myself in you, seek you with my whole heart so that I can distinguish between my carnal desires and my... And what you desire for me. I'm not scolding you. I'm encouraging you. Praise God that you're making this. But I'm saying, I know there's many questions about why haven't things worked better. This is the reason. Amen. This is the first step. Even those that are seated saying, well, I've already made this commitment. I guarantee you they don't fulfill it perfectly. They don't always follow it. Just because you're making this commitment isn't going to guarantee that everything is going to automatically work. But it's a first step. You've got to at least do this and begin the process before you can see it really produce and bear fruit in your life. So what you're doing tonight, making this decision, boy, it's going to make a difference. I tell you, God's going to start speaking to you. The scripture said in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's really what you're doing tonight. You're making a living sacrifice. God, here I am. I'm laying myself on the altar. And you can't sacrifice yourself. All you can do is crawl on the altar and ask God to send the fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. So you're making yourself an offering. And what we're going to do is ask God to consume this sacrifice, to light a fire on the inside of you and burn up all of this carnalness and let your heart start being purified so you'll start having his desires and his emotions. If you'll follow through with this, it's going to change your life. Father, I thank you for all of these that are standing right now. Thank you, Father, for their willingness to make a commitment to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you desire this more than we desire it. That this is our reasonable service. It's our normal Christian duty. This is average Christianity. And so, Father, we make the decision. We lay ourselves on the altar and say, Father, here we are, consume us. Father, burn out all of this flesh burn out all of the things that keep us from seeking you and knowing you and help us to know you. Father, touch our heart. Start putting your desires in our heart. We renounce our carnal desires, our selfish desires, and we want to put you and other people first. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that some of you are praying those exact words. You're praying these things, and this is your desire that Jesus, we want to know you. We want to understand you. I want to be yours completely. I want to have your power flowing through me. Praise God. Father, we thank you. And I believe you are faithful and just. You said to keep that which we commit. We've made a commitment. This is our desire. And we believe you keep it. That you hold us to it. That you remind us of this. That you constantly draw us back to this decision. And hold us firm in this position to where we are delighting ourselves in the Lord and having you put your desires in our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe you're faithful to do that. We trust you to do that. We can't do this without your supernatural aid. And we draw on that and believe that, Father, you are accepting these sacrifices in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Boy, that's awesome. I believe it's going to make a difference in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated. The only problem with being a living sacrifice is that you have a tendency to crawl off the altar. You know what? You have to follow through on this. You have to continue in it. I'd encourage you to get like the CD of tonight. If God spoke to you and inspired you, get the CD or the DVD and go back and listen to it. And you know what? It'll quicken you again. It'll remind you of what the Holy Spirit spoke to you tonight. And it'll hold you to this. That's really important. This is our last opportunity that if you don't know Jesus personally, if you've never been born again, it's our last opportunity during these services to give you that Chance also, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that. I know we've had over 200 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's tremendous. But if anybody's here tonight who doesn't speak in tongues, this is a vital part of you putting your delight and desires on the Lord and getting beyond your flesh and into the spirit realm. Is there anybody here tonight who would raise their hand and say, Man, I need either to be born again or I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. Here's somebody over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Anybody else? And there's still people. We've had so many people receive, and yet there's still people here tonight that want to receive. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, just get up out of your seat and come forward and let us minister to you. And we're going to help you to receive here tonight. Let's praise God for these as they come forward. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Man, this is wonderful. Hallelujah. How old are you? Almost 12. Nearly grown. Have you been born again? You'd like to be born again? Isn't that great? Boy, that's awesome. That's awesome. Is there anybody else up here that you have not been born again? You aren't absolutely certain that Jesus is your Lord. You've got to be born again before you can receive the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody else that needs to pray to receive Jesus before you receive the gift that Jesus gives? Anybody? Is that you? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? We're going to pray with this little lady. Is she already? Do you know her? Is she born again? Oh, okay. So you are born again. You know Jesus. Maybe you just didn't use the word born again. But you know Jesus. If you were to die right now, do you know where you'd go? Amen. Well, that's good. That's a good girl. I'm glad you came up and said something, Ed. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? You have to know. I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, but you do need to know. And there's so many people today that think, well, I go to church and I'm trying to be good. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. You need a complete change in your heart. Is there anybody else? Here's, here's a number of you. Amen. So that's three of you. Anybody else? Praise God. Awesome. Well, you know, before we can pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit, the first thing we need to do is to pray with you to be born again. Because Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And you need to receive the giver before you receive the gift. So the scripture says in Romans ten nine that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You understand that? You believe that? The Bible says you've got to confess Him as Lord. That's more than just saying the words. You've got to really make a commitment that, Jesus, I want you to rule and control my life. It doesn't mean you're saying I'll never make a mistake, but you're saying this is my desire. Are you willing to do that? Yes. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to say what you need to say. And if you will mean it from your heart and believe it, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? Jesus has already paid for your sins. He's already forgiven them. All you've got to do is receive. It's not a matter of will He forgive. It's a matter of will you receive it and make Jesus your Lord. So I'd like everybody to repeat this after me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive, that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. You believe that? You believe that? Amen. Welcome to the family. God bless you. Awesome, awesome. God bless you. Amen. So now everybody here has prayed that and according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In your spirit, your spirit was created to contain the Holy Spirit. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So God wants to give you the Holy Spirit more than you want Him. That's what He created you for. So we don't have to beg. We're just going to ask one time. I think it's important to say this because so many people think that you just have to plead with God to get the Holy Spirit. It helps to understand that God's longed for this time. God's wanted you to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than you want it. So we're just going to ask one time and just open up the door of our temple and let him in. And then I've got these prayer ministers that I want to ask to come up here. And these prayer ministers are going to lay hands on you as we pray because the Bible says through the laying on of hands the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask, then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into you. And after they lay hands on you, then I want you to quit asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit and believe that He did it. Trust that His promise is true. And start thanking Him. And just start thanking Him. Quit asking. There's a time to ask and then there's a time to believe. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on it, and I want you to start thanking Him. And at that time, I want you to start lifting your hands, because the Bible says that when you lift your hands, this blesses the Lord. It's a way of saying, I surrender, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back, and you go, I yield, I surrender. And you are going to just start thanking God, and then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in our tongue, because the Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks Well, You're praising God in the Spirit. So we're going to start thanking God and praying in the Spirit. And then you can join in with us and pray in the Spirit. And I know you may think, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, I've got a book that will explain it. But if you're ready, you can do it right now. I encourage you to start talking. And don't wait on the Holy Spirit to force you to talk. That's not the way that tongues works. He doesn't take your mouth. You know this is kind of a crude example but i honestly used to think when i before i started speaking in tongues that it was going to be like when you threw up that you could put your hand over your mouth and try and stop it and you couldn't it just was going to come out anyway that's not the way that speaking in tongues is i can pray in tongues right now or i can talk in english i'm talking in english because you need it to understand i can choose the holy spirit's not going to force you to speak in tongues you have to speak. Acts 2, 4 says, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk in tongues. He inspires you to do it. You have to do the talking and by faith believe it's the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can pray with us in tongues right now. Isn't that a good deal? Man, this is going to change you. Amen. So Father, we agree right now and we thank you that all of these now have made a commitment and that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we just open up these temple doors. We open up our heart and Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in and fill us. We ask you to just release your power and anointing in our life. Give us this power that Jesus spoke of in Acts 1.8. We ask and receive it now in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power right now. Brother, you've asked a hundred times already. Now we aren't asking anymore. Don't ask again. Let's thank the Lord. I want you to put those hands up in the air and thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that your word's true. Thank you that I am filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Talk out loud. Talk in English. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that your word's true. Thank you that I am now God-possessed. Thank you that the anointing of the Holy Spirit now invades my life, inhabits me. Thank you, Father. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's begin to worship the Lord and speak in tongues. Don't be real loud. Don't dominate the whole group. But just talk so that they won't feel like somebody's listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. Just start speaking. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say. But their tongue is their tongue. Your tongue's going to be different. You can't say what they're saying, but you can get started. And once you start speaking and find out it's not the same, just keep speaking. And you'll find out it's not coming from your brain. It's your spirit praying. It's bypassing your brain. It's coming out of your spirit. You're talking to God from your spirit without the unbelief and the fear and the doubt that's in your mind, the confusion that's in your mind. It's a way of just releasing the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. It's a supernatural gift. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just be bold. Be bold. Amen. Just speak out right now. That's it. Don't shake your head. No, brother. You got to shake it. Yes, yes, yes. We're through with negative. Amen. You got the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing in these. Praise the Lord. Let's just speak. Keep talking. Talk right now in Jesus' name. And your spirit's been trying to speak with God for a long, long time. Let it talk. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You don't know what you're saying, but you know what? You're communicating with your Father in a way that's not hindered the way you are when you talk in English. And it may not be perfect. You might be stumbling around. It may not sound like a language to you, but just like a little child starts speaking, I guarantee you, your daddy knows what you're trying to say. He is thrilled that you're talking.